you're up. Well, good afternoon, everybody. Good morning to some of you in different parts of the United States. I'm not Tony Katz. That's probably obvious right now. But I am Kira Davis, editor-at-large for RedState.com, host of Just Listen to Yourself with Kira Davis. And it is a pleasure to be back again with you guys broadcasting from the heartland and throughout the United States. I am so thrilled to be here. Uh, As you guys know, Tony and I are good friends. He's been a mentor of mine for a long time. So it's always a privilege to be able to talk to his audience. And uh, we've got a lot coming up today. So much to discuss. Is the news not crazy now or what? I feel like I'm going crazy. I feel like I'm losing my mind. One of the big reasons that I feel this way is because at Red State, we have been fending off censorship and getting banned from our pages on Facebook and our accounts on Twitter. We have been fending that off since January, since the Capitol riots. And we've been telling the truth about things. And even though we're sourcing our articles, we're making sure everything is linked and everything can be proven that we're seeing, we've still been getting banned. And yet, Now, suddenly, the mainstream media is coming around and they're reporting the stuff that we reported or tried to report two or three months ago uh, that we had some of it. We had to withdraw some of it. We just couldn't publish because we were being threatened with having our site basically taken offline for all intents and purposes. So we've had to tread lightly here on the right. It's not just us. It's it's every kind of right wing website. But now the mainstream media can't ignore the problems that we've been having with Fauci, with all of these uh, all of these uh, policies that are going forward in states regarding COVID, with the misinformation that the left have, has been putting out about COVID, it's almost impossible to ignore the absolute crap show that has become the United States. Can you believe that it is only June? It's only. June. We are mere months into this presidency. <laughs> and the the United States is, it feels like things are worse now than they were during the shutdowns. It's just insane. And I think it's becoming so obvious for people that it's getting really hard to ignore the issues. When you've got the vice president of the United States, Kamala Harris, who should be, uh, I mean, we should be hearing about this woman every day. We should be hearing about the amazing gains she's making in politics every day. She's the first woman vice president. And also, I think we're supposed to be uh, impressed that she's uh, the first Asian and black vice president. As a black woman, I kind of resent that I have to like spend this first on Kamala Harris when she gets to claim the other uh, first. But whatever, I don't get to make these decisions. So she's our first black vice president and first Asian vice president. And she should be out there doing amazing things, right? Biden or Biden's people, I don't know how, <laughs> I don't know how much Biden is really doing or ordering or how much he even knows what's going on, to be quite honest. Uh, but Biden put her in charge of the border crisis. Okay, when Trump put um, Pence in, in charge of the COVID response, we saw Pence every day, didn't we? We saw we we saw him on the news. We saw him on 
Uh, we saw him on every program. He was giving interviews. He was talking about what was going on. He gave a press conference every day. The COVID crisis was a big deal. Obviously, it still is. But but we saw him every day with different officials. He gave us updates. The border crisis is, a, is kind of a big deal. It's such a big deal that the president appointed the vice president to oversee it. And yet we've heard absolutely zero from her. And in fact, the one time the corporate press decided to ask her a question about it, she deflected and said and laughed at it. Basically, she laughed at it. This woman should be making historic gains in politics for women. We should see her all over the place. And yet we don't. Don't you find that suspicious? My personal opinion is because she's an empty suit. I'll give this to Hillary Clinton. Like it, love it or hate it, there's substance behind her. You know, it might not be the substance that we like. It might not be the point of view that we like. But Hillary Clinton is a wickedly intelligent woman. And she could back up her positions with rhetoric and with discussion. And of course, as a as a person who leans right, I always thought it was kind of BS, but I, I never once looked at Hillary. I have a lot of opinions about Hillary Clinton as a politician, but I never once looked at her and thought, boy, she's an absolute idiot. She is not there. She she has no control over what's going on around her. I think we all would agree that Hillary Clinton had dictator and probably still does has dictator like control over the people around her. And she knows how to control the message and control her image. Now, that fell apart in 2016 when the media really couldn't keep up with what Trump was doing. But I'll give Hillary Clinton that. But Kamala Harris, she doesn't seem to have that, that oomph, that thing. And I hope this isn't too controversial. <laughs> Do I, though? No, <laughs> I don't. I don't. I don't want to mess around with Tony's airwaves too much by saying something too crazy. But what what I will say is this. And the reason I express a little hesitancy is because there are times when I am on shows talking about this where it will make people uncomfortable. It seems to be crossing like a personal line. But this is how I honestly feel. I don't think Joe Biden is really in control. I don't think he's really leading. And I think that the Democrat Party picked Kamala Harris for the same reason. That I don't think Joe Biden picked Kamala Harris. They had, if you recall, which we're all supposed to memory hole the, the entire uh, primary season. Um, but if you recall, they had a very nasty, a couple of nasty exchanges on the stage before Kamala's entire campaign fell all the way apart. She was such a terrible candidate that the moment she had more than 15 seconds to speak on that stage, because remember, there was like 100 candidates and then they all would get like 15 or 20 seconds to talk. The minute she had more than 15 seconds to talk, her campaign sunk like a stone in the ocean. I mean, it was epic how quickly it crashed. As it turns out, people didn't like hearing from her. So then you have to kind of connect those dots. You got to draw on Just Listen to Yourself, my podcast, which is available wherever you find your podcast. You have to try to draw. I, I ask people to draw out their talking points to, the, to their logical conclusion. 
I don't think we extend our logic on talking points enough. Sometimes it can be revealing. Sometimes it can show us that we're not saying what we think we're saying. So I think it's important to draw out this Kamala Harris vice presidency to its logical conclusion. If you think about what a terrible candidate she was, how she torpedoed her own campaign just by talking, and it wasn't Republicans that torpedoed this. This was during their primary We already had our guy. This was their fight. So even Democrats hated her so much that she basically flunked out of the primaries very early on. So why is she the vice president? I think it's because she isn't like a Hillary Clinton. I think she is kind of the definition of an empty suit. We have a lot of those here in California. I'm broadcasting uh, to you all from California. but um, And I'm sure you've heard a lot of our news, but we've got a lot of empty suits here in California. The mayor of L.A. is traditionally an empty suit, and that's one of the most influential cities in the nation. And our governor is for sure an empty suit. We're working on recalling him. Uh, The recall has gone through. We'll vote in the fall. And he's really pulling out all the stops to bribe us with with money and programs. But there's nothing to him. There's nothing underneath. And it's the same with Kamala. And I think that's purposeful. Because I think whoever decided that this is what the next Democrat administration was going to look like, and again, I don't think it was Joe Biden, they they needed people who could be easily controlled by proxy. That's how I feel. And I I don't think that that is, I don't think that that's that controversial, but man, these days, what what passes for controversial is shocking. So I I just think that it is a, a really weird thing that Kamala is kind of not around. She's not really, again, if, Okay, fine. Joe Biden is maybe not all there. And so and he's calling lids early and he's going to take his naps or whatever. Uh, we don't hear from him much. Okay, I think we all can square that away. We, we get it. But that would seem to me an opportunity for this first, you know, of a vice president to really step up and seize the leadership reins and get out there and, and be like, this is what I'm doing. And I'm doing this and I'm taking action. And, you know, we just kind of see her diddling around last night she gave cookies to the journalists on air force two they were cookies of her face (laughs) on d-day i don't know (laughs) i don't know what's in store for us but i do know that something's up something's fishy here right you guys i i i i'm imagining all of you agreeing with me right now i think i've laid out my case There's something fishy here, but the people we're told are in control, I don't think they're in control. And that's why they're not taking these opportunities to really uh, take advantage of the first that Kamala Harris is. And then now the rest of it is just a big old mess. If it feels to you like we're in utter chaos in this country right now, and you can't really tell which way is up, I think that's purposeful. I think that is that is purposeful. And that is what happens when you don't have good leadership, at least when Trump was president. Okay, I'm sure a lot on on the left would describe his presidency as utter chaos, but there was no doubt who was in control. And we heard we we read think pieces about it every single day from the left. Uh, They we they hated that he was in control, but there was no doubt that he was in control. Maybe he was the, the turnover in his administration was a lot, and, but, but he was in control and people knew that. 
And I think what we're seeing happening on the global scale right now is because it is pretty obvious that no one's in control here. All right. When we, we're going to go to a break, but when we come back, I'm, I want to talk about, speaking of control, I want to talk about Dr. Fauci, Fauci's foul-ups. Boy, oh boy, you guys, at Red State, we've been breaking news left and right and again, having to jump through hoops to get this news out to you. And now finally, the left-wing media is is picking up. So in the next half hour, I'm going to have Red State Managing Editor Jennifer Van Lahr, who's broken some of these stories, to come on and explain to you exactly how bad this Fauci situation is. I think he's going under, you guys. And I'll, and but, but when we come back from the break, I'm going to play some clips of Fauci and Rand Paul so we can set up why we all need to really be concentrating on this Fauci story. We haven't heard the half of it. It's about to blow up. Don't go anywhere. I'm Kira Davis filling in for Tony Katz, and you're listening to Tony Katz Today. Welcome back, everybody, to Tony Katz Today. I am your guest host, Kira Davis, host of Just Listen to Yourself with Kira Davis, available wherever you find your podcast, editor-at-large for redstate.com, and non-stop talker. I'm also a dog person. I uh, I will tolerate cats if I need to, but definitely a dog person, and we're, fo- we're a foster family, uh, so we have a foster dog. Uh, that's staying with us right now. And, uh, you know, I'll take cats if I have to, but I don't find them to be superior animals. Let's get to this Fauci clip because I want to play it because it's going to set up what Jennifer Van Lauer and I are going to talk about in the next half hour. This is Rand Paul grilling Fauci on gain of function research. It's a few minutes long, but I want you to hear the whole thing because I think a lot of people are confused about what this gain of function thing is and why it's important. And Rand Paul lays out the whole thing. And then you listen to Fauci lie at the end. Jennifer's going to come on and talk about what a lie this is. All right, cue that up. Go ahead. Government authorities, self-interested in continuing gain-of-function research, say there's nothing to see here. Gain-of-function research, as you know, is juicing up naturally occurring animal viruses to infect humans. To arrive at the truth, the U.S. government should admit that the Wuhan Virology Institute was experimenting to enhance the coronavirus's ability to infect humans. Juicing up super viruses is not new. Scientists in the U.S. have long known how to mutate animal viruses to infect humans. For years, Dr. Ralph Barrick, a virologist in the U.S., has been collaborating with Dr. Shi Zengli of the Wuhan Virology Institute, sharing his discoveries about how to create super viruses. This gain-of-function research has been funded by the NIH. The collaboration between the U.S., and the Wuhan Virology Institute continues. Doctors Barrick and Xi worked together to insert bat virus spike protein into the backbone of the deadly SARS virus, and then used this man-made supervirus to infect human airway cells. Think about that for a moment. The SARS virus had a 15% mortality. We're fighting a pandemic that has about a 1% mortality. Can you imagine if a SARS virus that's been juiced up and had viral proteins added to it, to the spike protein, if that were released accidentally? Dr. Fauci, do you still support funding of the NIH funding of the lab in Wuhan? Senator Paul, with all due respect, you are entire, entirely 
and completely incorrect that the NIH has not ever and does not now fund gain-of-function research in the Wuhan Institute Do they fund of Dr. Barrick? We do not fund... Do you fund gain, Dr. Barrick's gain-of-function research? D- Dr. Barrett does not doing gain-of-function research, and if it is, it's according to the guidelines, and it is being conducted in <laughs> North Carolina. You don't think inserting a bat virus spike protein that he got from the Wuhan Institute into the SARS virus is gain of function. That is not the minority because at least 200 scientists have signed a statement from the Cambridge Working Group saying that it is gain of function. Well, it is not. And if you look at the grant and you look at the progress reports, it is not gain of function, despite the fact that people tweet that. So do you still support sending money to the Wuhan Virology Institute? We do not send money now to the the Wuhan uh, Virology Institute. you support sending money? We did. Under your tutelage, we were sending it through EcoHealth. It was a sub-agency and a sub-grant. Do you support the money from NIH that was going to the Wuhan Institute? Let me explain to you why that was done. The SARS-CoV-1 originated in bats in China. It would have been irresponsible of us if we okay, did not stop it right there, investigate. Uh, that it, you can hear him flip flopping right there in the clip. You know, did, did no, we didn't. We didn't fund, but we did. But we weren't doing this. Well, well, we didn't work with the Wuhan lab. Well, we did, but it wasn't for this. I mean, this guy. I don't think Dr. Fauci has ever been asked to be held accountable for any of the decisions he's made. He's worked with such impunity. I think that'll ultimately be his downfall. And believe me, I'm going to explain next in the next half hour how I, I do think Fauci's on his way out the door. I think this is all a setup for him to be the scapegoat because this has been a disastrous takeover of what President Trump started. And President Trump isn't clear and, and free from from his poor handling, I think, of the PR around COVID, which probably led a, a lot to what we experienced in the 2020 election. But there you're watching Fauci flip-flop right in front of your eyes. So keep that in mind. And thank God for Rand Paul. Keep that in mind. As we move into the next half hour, we're going to come back with Jennifer Van Lahr, editor, uh, managing editor for Red State. She's been breaking Fauci news, uh, some stuff that is really, really important. You need to hear this. Don't go anywhere. I'm Kira Davis. I'm filling in for Tony Katz, and you're listening to Tony Katz Today. Welcome back to Tony Katz Today. I'm your guest host, Kira Davis, editor-at-large for redstate.com, host of Just Listen to Yourself. You can find that uh, podcast wherever you find your podcast. This past week, I actually took on the the concept of colorblindness and why I don't think for conservatives that should be our 
goal. And so if you want to check that out and hear all the arguments I make, go to Apple iTunes or Spotify, wherever you find your podcast. And then, you know, write to me, tell me what you think. It was definitely one that prompted a lot of response. All right. But getting back to the subject at hand, Flip-Flop Fauci is really doing a number on this country. And the, he, his very presence has exposed a lot of lies that have been fed to us about this virus and about our response to the virus. And Red State has been breaking news on this left and right. We're not necessarily getting the credit for it uh, because that would not behoove the mainstream media, but we're, we've been breaking news left and right. One of the dogged reporters on this issue who has been digging and digging and digging for months is my boss and the managing editor at redstate.com, Jennifer Van Large. She's gonna talk to us about what's going on with Fauci. Jennifer, welcome to Tony Katz Today. So great to be here, Kira. All right, let's get into it. This is a big deal. I played the full, just before you came on, just before we went to break, I played the clip of Rand Paul grilling Fauci on gain-of-function research because I wanted the, the, it's a little confusing if you're not sure what the terms are, so I wanted the audience to understand why this is a big deal because in the clip, Jennifer, Fauci outright lies to Rand Paul. Mm -hmm. I mean, and, and not only that, but as he's speaking, he's reversing his lies. I mean, it was just incredible. I mean, thank God for Rand Paul, right? Exactly. That guy has been on this. He and Tom Cotton have really taken a lot of heat from the media and all of Fauci's uh, fangirls about their questioning. They're, just, they're supposed to accept what Fauci says, and I'm so glad they haven't. Well, tell us why it's sh that this should matter to the average American what, that Fauci is lying about gain of function. This might just seem to to some people like, OK, this is just kind of a, a bureaucratic speak. And and, you know, what is the big deal, whether he knew about gain of function or not? The virus is here. What is the big deal? Can you explain why people should really be concerned about this? Yeah, and it, it is really difficult to understand. Steve Hilton had a great video last night, and I'm not sure if you've talked about that yet. But I haven't. He's on I watched, Fox News. Yep. Okay. Uh, yes. So I, I watched his piece, and it made me mad, but I, then I thought about it because my mom was sitting with me and another friend, and they were looking at me, why are you so mad? And it, it hit <laughs> me that I was so mad because I've been following this, and I understood exactly what he was saying. But for people who hadn't already been following the story, they would think, what, what the heck is happening here? So gain-of-function research, and, and Fauci even talked about it in this video, it's things where you take a virus and you make it more transmissible, like something that maybe doesn't spread very fast or very easily. They, they mutate it uh, manually so that it will, or they make it more pathogenic where it's going to do more damage to the person, or they do things called uh, host range, alter the host range. So something that's maybe only in bats or horses or birds can now exist in humans. So Jeez. we've been doing research on these SARS viruses to do all of these things over the last 10 years or so. NIH has been funding this throughout the world, including at Wuhan. And there were two brand new SARS viruses created at Wuhan that couldn't have been in humans before, but after they engineered them, could infect humans and specifically human airway epithelial cells. Those are the ones that have the little cilia in them that take your anything that comes into your body and tries to get foreign things out. It's your first line of immune defense. So what happens when you don't have that? That's I think terrifying. we all saw that for the last year. 
that's terrifying. And what's more terrifying is the idea that, I mean, I would expect our government to be working on this kind of stuff. You know, if it, if somebody else is working on it, then we should definitely, it's, it's kind of like it's national security, right? You would expect that. Exactly. We wouldn't be expecting our government to be literally funding the research of our enemies to, to, to help strengthen their viral research and viral, you know, all the messing around they're doing with the virus. I mean, I think what terrifies me about this, Jennifer, is China is our enemy. They are not our friends. They want to kill us. They want to end us. And Fauci saying that, that well, we're involved, but it's not that bad. I mean, it is that bad. We're talking about a virus, about a, our enemy creating a virus in the hopes of wiping out most of the population of Earth. Right. And so there's two things with that. And so we, as far as SARS viruses, particularly, we kind of have to play with China a little bit because mostly they originate in China in those caves and with bats and whatnot. So we have to get samples from them or somehow work with them to to get the actual virus, because obviously we don't have them naturally here. But when we go to the point of partnering with them to to do this gain of function stuff, where we know that any knowledge that's possessed by their scientists is going to be possessed by their military and used to our detriment, and we're going to pay for that, that's the problem. And the thing is that Fauci knew uh, that this gain of function research had huge risks to it, not just a lab leak, but just creating biowarfare. And that to the point that our government back in 2014 said, you know, let's do a moratorium on paying for this until we have a good framework, until we have a lot of uh, checks and balances to make sure that we don't create something that's going to kill all of us. And there was exact research going on with Dr. Xi at Wuhan that the government asked them to pause it and Fauci gave them an exception and said, no, go ahead. Keep on going. Do you suspect, what do you think is going on here? Do you, we, I know we, we have to be careful about making presumptions, but we are in the business of, of opining. And what do you suspect is going on here? Like, could it be, I'm always, and I know you are too, and you've taught me this, but you always follow the money. I mean, if you have any questions and something doesn't make sense to you about what government is doing, you always follow the money. I mean, what is going, exactly is going on with Fauci here? Why is he lying about this? Well, I think he's lying because he knew once this came out and they knew early on what this virus was, he went, oh, crap. And he knew that he had been funding this stuff when he wasn't supposed to be, because like uh, I think you and I and a couple of our, of our writers at Red State had been talking privately about this. What was Fauci's motivation here? And public health wasn't a very sexy thing to look at as far as government bureaucrats until last year. Right. So mm -hmm. they had just kind of been flying under the radar getting their billions of dollars to have all the research that they want to have done and just not really telling anyone else about it. But then when this pandemic happened it, and really put a light on them, they went, oh, crap, we need to cover up what we've been doing here, because especially with Trump as president at that time, there would there would have been heads rolling. And 
Well, well, that's what's so crazy to me, though, because on the one hand, everything you just said made perfect sense. On the one hand, okay, they're like, oh, shoot, uh, now now we're in it. But on the other hand, Fauci's been on every magazine cover. He's been throwing out the first pitches at baseball games. I mean, he at Meghan McCain compared him to a Kardashian the other day. I mean, this guy is freaking everywhere. He's got a new book coming out, which pre-sales have been suspended now because suddenly Fauci is, is uh, you know, his star is falling now. But it, that's what's amazing to me. Maybe it's just, I don't know. What do you think? Like, maybe it's just the seduction of of fame and, and power. But, like, you would think that he would just kind of go quietly into the night and hope that people forget about him. And instead, he's just everywhere. Right. So he, I think he's been able to get away with things for so long, been able to spin it, and eventually it just goes away. I have heard through various sources in my investigative reporting that Fauci's a bit of a narcissist and then he gets all of this attention. Of course, that feeds the narcissistic monster. And yeah, and they, they just, sorry, I just thought about another thing that I needed to add on this. So with Fauci, yeah, he's controlled all of these scientists because they control all the funding, right? So they, no one wants right. to offend Fauci. So right. in the email trove right. last week, there was a doctor from Scripps down near San Diego here in California that emailed him and said, Hey, you know, I'm, I'm afraid that this looks like it could be engineered. And Fauci basically said, call me. And then got him on the phone with this Peter Daszak from EcoHealth Alliance. And after that, suddenly this author was writing a whole paper about how it was not lab originated. So then yesterday, once this all started coming out, that, that doctor deleted his Twitter account. Oh my gosh. That it you has guys, some different things on it. Yeah. This so is. He controls a lot of stuff. He doesn't want to give that up. Yeah. I, you know what? That makes sense. And I think that we underestimate how seductive power can be. And especially, as you said, Jennifer, when you're unaccountable, you know, he makes twice what the twice or three times what the president makes a year. Mm -hmm. I mean, uh, that it, I think true people just kind of get addicted to the power addicted to the attention i think we saw the same thing happen with uh cuomo in new york right like he, he knew he had all this mm -hmm. dirt underneath him but it was like wow people are praising me <laughs> and and i can't stop i i think what do you think jennifer i think that one of the in hindsight is 2020 but one of i think the greatest mistakes that uh, Trump made probably was not firing Fauci right away or sidelining him in some way. I think he knew he should have. And because there was an election, you know, it might not have been politically expedient, but Fauci's been a disaster and he's rained down suffering on this country because of his selfishness. I agree. But, you know, given what we've seen in all of the, the Fauci emails and then even the Dazak emails where he was basically strong arming scientists into writing papers that it was not a lab leak, uh, but basically saying, hey, they, that's some nice funding you have for that grant there. It would stink if it went away. I'm not sure if anyone would have come out and told Trump, anyone mm. in the scientific community. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, I guess that's a good point. Well, okay, Jennifer, um, can you tell people where they can find more of your reporting? You guys have to follow Jennifer. Give them your Twitter account, too, because um, I can tell you from personal experience, Jennifer is a dogged reporter, and she has been on this, like, white on rice. No offense, white people. Uh, so, <laughs> Jennifer, tell Thank people you. where they can find <laughs> you and make sure you follow everything she does over at redstate.com. Thank you. So I'm at, on Twitter at Jen Van Lar, V-A-N-L-A-A-R. And of course, at redstates.com, you can find me and Kara and Scott Hounsel has been 
doing major work on this too. Yes. Awesome. Okay. Thank you so much for coming on the show, Jen, and I'll see you uh, at the office. Thank you. All right. That was Jennifer Van Lar, managing editor for redstate.com. Pretty big stuff. We're going to take a break and we will be back shortly. Don't go anywhere. I'm Kira Davis filling in for Tony Katz and this is Tony Katz Today. Welcome back to Tony Katz Today. I am Kira Davis, editor-at-large for redstate.com, host of Just Listen to Yourself with Kira Davis, and I am filling in for my good friend Tony today and tomorrow. So if you um, don't run away screaming from the sound of my lovely, melodic, not at all annoying voice, and come back tomorrow and hear what I have to say about things. I have a lot of things to say about things. I am a nonstop talker. Uh, just asked my husband. We've been talking about Fauci this hour. I just had a managing editor of Red State, Jennifer Van Lar, on. She mentioned the amazing research we've been doing over at the site. I highly recommend you going over there. You're going to get some stories first. See, we break stories over there that the mainstream will then pick up, but they never credit us because our name is Red State. But we're a legitimate organization. We are legitimate reporters over there and we are doing good work. And Jennifer and Scott Hounsel, who's another one of our dogged investigative reporters, are doing good work on this. And I'll tell you what bothers me the most about what's going on with Fauci, with these lies, with the flip-flopping, with the obvious narcissism, as Jennifer mentioned, that's going on with him and uh, his weirdness on mask mandates. Should we have them? Should we not? Emails saying that they don't work, but press conferences saying that you've got a double mask. What is going on with this guy? You know what? At this point, I don't care. I want him gone. I am so angry. When when Fauci first popped onto the scene, there were a lot of people who were like, fire Fauci. And I was like, okay, this is just the, the pro-Trump crowd being <laughs> a little bit crazy you know I, I like everything doesn't just because someone doesn't like trump everything doesn't that person doesn't need to go but as the as time wore on i kind of got the issue here right and i'll tell you this here's why i think it is important to to make fauci accountable first of all he's in an office that's not elected he's in a job that's an unelected position and he has had control over policy guiding federal responses to covid since the start. This man has absolutely no accountability. As we saw, we halted the funding for this gain of function research for Chinese scientists. We halted the funding because we thought there might be some danger here. We need to back up and reconsider what we're doing. And he went ahead and did it anyway on his own. Because guess what, folks? He has no accountability or responsibility to the American taxpayer, to the American voter, because he is unelected. These unelected people should not be making these kinds of decisions. And the decisions that Fauci has made in the last year or has encouraged us to make has, has resulted in the suffering, unnecessary suffering of Americans, but especially I think as a mother as ch for, for our children. Because in order to keep the lie going that we've gotta keep this um, 
dictatorship like grasp on the American economy and American businesses and schools and never let a good crisis go to waste and all that good stuff. In order to do that, we have to keep we they have to keep as many people as as possible scared. We know that children are not really at risk from this virus. And yet we're being told, well, they can't go to school or they can't play outside without their masks if they're not vaccinated. And and I'm happy to take this vaccine. I don't want to get COVID. Like, I'm happy to take a vaccine. I'm happy if you want to take it. More than happy if you don't want to take it. But I have a real problem with it suddenly being pushed on our kids as if that's what's needed to resume normal life. Because it's only a hop, skip, and a jump to the next thing. You heard Jennifer say that there's still more research going on about at gain of function, right? There, we are, we are at war, people. We do not live on a peaceful planet, and China is not a peaceful partner. They want to kill us. They want to end us. We should not be working with China in any way. If you ask me, I think it's time. The way we would we did this with. Uh, Russians in the 80s, I think it's time to kind of start closing our borders to Chinese uh, aggression, to the massive amounts of Chinese immigration that we're seeing into this country, and to a part and partnerships with China need to end. They are not our friend. They want us to suffer. And so far, they're doing one hell of a job. I'm Kira Davis filling in for Tony Katz. Don't go anywhere. We'll be back after the break. Welcome back, everybody. Welcome back to Tony Katz today. I'm your guest host, Kira Davis, filling in for Tony Katz today and tomorrow. It's my pleasure to be speaking to you across the heartland and the United States. I always enjoy the opportunity to um, commune with Tony's audience. Uh, last hour, we talked about Fauci, flip-flop Fauci, and the insanity that's been going on with him. And I started talking about how, as a mom, it makes me... It infuriates me that all of this misguided misinformation and guidance and rules and dictates coming down from on high really originate with how Fauci has been framing this virus and telling us we should handle this virus. And we've seen in his emails that even he didn't think that the things we're being asked to do would work. And yet somehow we're still doing them, especially when it comes to these mask mandates. You know, it's ridiculous that our, not every state, some states have managed to extricate themselves from this mask madness. The state I'm in is still moving full steam ahead with it. I mean, kids play, my friend texted me the other day. She said, my son had football practice. We're finally letting the kids play sport. 90 degrees out. He had to wear a mask outside. You know, it's insanity. My son is 19 years old. He, quote, graduated in 2020, which was just I'm, I'm sure I don't have to explain to you what a devastation 2020 was for us. We were prepared to have this killer year, you know, I mean, I can remember when we first realized that we had a 20 that we had given birth to a 2020 graduate. We're like, oh, well, that's so cool. Our son's going to graduate in 2020. What's going to be going on there? Will we have our flying cars? Will we, you know, it just seemed like a cool number. And then it turned out to be the absolute worst thing ever. But 
He had worked really hard through high school. He's a great student. One of the things he did was he earned his way to the top of the, his uh, choral program, choir in school. He he, We're blessed to live in an area where uh, his choir teacher is actually a national recognized Grammy award-winning choir director, teacher. The Grammys actually have a, a category for teachers. And and so as a result, they, they tour across the United States. They sing in all kinds of places. I mean, it's just amazing. They go to Europe every two or three years. So in 2020, we were scheduled to go to Italy. And we thought, we're going we're gonna to just do this. We're going to break the bank here. We're going to take the whole family to Italy. We're going to follow the choir on this tour as a big one last graduation hoorah for my son. His choir was going to sing in the Sistine Chapel. And I thought, there's no way I'm going to miss that. So we all know what happened. That got canceled. And and some of this is out of our control. And I don't, I'm not blaming the people that canceled it or the choir program. What I am saying is that my son went from having everything to having nothing. And for what? You know, if it, it, it would be it would be one thing if people who were dropping dead in the streets and and it this was kind of like a, a Spanish flu kind of level pandemic where we couldn't control it and it was just killing people by the hundreds of thousands every day. You know, be, that would be one thing, but that's not what we had. And in fact, kids had almost no risk. And yet we have teachers unions on the on the with the backing of Fauci telling us, well, we're not going back to school unless the kids are vaccinated. The kids and they want to tell us that it's about kids, but it's not about the kids. The kids are fine. And if you took a vaccine, you should be fine, too, unless you're an anti-vaxxer and you don't think vaccines work. If if, if you think I think that the teachers unions are decidedly anti-vax right now, and I think those are the terms we need to refer to them as. Uh, because the left likes to throw around the term anti-vax as as an insult. Well, okay, fine. You know what? Two can play this game. Two can play this game. So if you don't believe vaccines work, then you're the anti-vaxxer. Do I want you teaching my kids? You know, it, it just what this has ripped away from our children is unforgivable. We're not taught for my son. I'm not just talking about one year sitting in stasis. It's going to be almost two by the time he gets his life started, because not only did he not get to, to graduate, his cap and gown are still in the shrink wrap, y'all. We did not even have, we had like a little piddly drive-by, uh, you know, the parents tried to put something together, a drive-through graduation. And, you know, by the time that came around, my son was like, I don't even want to bother. What is the point? It's over. And it was just so unceremonious. One day he was at school and the next day, blah, nothing. Now that's forgivable because at that time we didn't really know what was going on and we didn't have all the information that we have now and that we've had for months and months now. So I could, we, we were prepared and did deal with that. And my son is so resilient as, as most children are, and he dealt with that well. But then when fall came around and he couldn't go to college, that was devastating. He's enrolled in a college in Chicago. And we were excited to send him out there and kind of launch him out into semi-adulthood. I mean, you're still at college, but I don't think we are appreciating the experiences that we have stolen from children over these last months. Youth is fleeting. You know, it's just grossly irresponsible. Youth is fleeting. Think about how quickly your youth went. We, every adult knows this, right? We, especially if you're a parent. 
You know, I, I was bringing a newborn baby home from the hospital one day. Inexplicably, they let me take this human being home and be responsible for it. And then the next day he was driving, you know, it just, you blink and it, and it goes so fast. How many of us sit here and look at our children or look at each other or look at our dogs or our town and say, where did the time go? We, two years for a young person's life is an eternity. This is the prime of their lives and we are punishing them unnecessarily. Again, if it was, if it was necessary, that's fine. But this is not a virus that affects everybody. And this is not a virus that really affects children. Statistically, I know some children have been affected. And if you look up the numbers online, you'll see, I think it'll be about 260 kids, they say, uh, succumbed to the coronavirus this past year. But that 260 is like coronavirus with, with sidelining conditions, right? You know, so it's not even like, oh, these kids just got COVID out of nowhere and dropped dead. Statistically, in a population of 330 million, that's zero. Not to say that those deaths mean zero to the, the, the families of those loved ones. And I resent that I even have to say that because there's just so many nutsos out there who don't want to listen to logic in the name of emotion. But I guess I have to say that these days. Of course, that's a tragedy. But statistically speaking, when you're talking about setting policy based on numbers, it's zero. And yet we have made our kids responsible for what happens to adults in this situation. And it is unforgivable. Two years is far too much time to take away from a child's life. So teachers, if you don't want to go back to school because you don't feel safe, then quit. Give up your job. I'm sorry, you're not. Can you tell I'm a little heated about this? This isn't even how I plan to start the top of the hour off. I'm just so mad about it. I wrote an article at Red State the other day, and it's called What Fauci Has Done to Our Children is Unforgivable. And I know that Fauci himself didn't do it, but it's his guidance that has done this. And he's done that gleefully and willingly. Two years is far too long. How dare they? Our kids will never get this time back. Kids like my son, who are of the age, where that, that awkward age between high school and college where your, your high school friends are too young, you know, you've kind of matured out of that. And then your, your college, it's when you go to college or you go to some kind of, maybe you hit the workforce or something, but you transition is what I'm saying. There's a transition. You find a new peer group. You find people who are in your peer group. And college is, is a big part of that if you go, but uh, it might be at work or whatever. But my son didn't even have any of that. He, instead of going to college, he did go to work this past year. But when you can't go anywhere or do anything and half of the people are just locked inside their houses, like trembling in fear, how was he able to socialize and make friends this year? He really wasn't. It was difficult. And as a mother, it was heart wrenching to have to watch this go on and he is an incredible human being and I know that he will be okay but no one asked his permission to do this to him and it was completely unnecessary so you teachers out there you college professors out there who feel like you're vulnerable for some reason even though you're vaccinated that you're vulnerable by going back to work then quit turn in your resignation because we have this idea in this country that um the job of teaching is unassailable. <laughs> like you can't, you, every time you talk about a teacher, you got to talk about them like a saint. Yeah, you're, no one's indispensable, y'all. 
for real. No one is indispensable. And uh, I don't even, I know two people, I'm going to get the heck for this, but I know people like to say the teaching is a noble profession, but I don't think so. I think it's just a profession and you get paid to do it and you choose to, to do it, right? No one's making, no one comes to you when you're 10 years old and says, you're going to be a teacher, not in this country, you're going to be a teacher. And so uh, that's, you have no other choice. No, you've chosen to go in this profession, whatever you think of the pay, whatever you think of the benefits, it's your choice. So it should be your choice to leave too. And so if you think that you cannot be safe in the classroom, then quit because I can tell you that there are a million people waiting to replace you. In a state like where I live here in California, there is actually a line for teaching positions. There are young people getting out of school because teaching is lucrative here. They'll tell you it's not, but it is. And uh, um, so kids are lining up out of college, begging for jobs, and they're having to leave the teaching profession altogether while they wait for positions to open up. I mean, it's just, it's a huge, very common struggle. Kids will move all over the state for an open position in teaching. That's how coveted a position is here. So there's plenty of people to take your place. Plenty of young people who don't feel vulnerable, who are vaccinated and who believe in vaccinations, who believe in science and believe that it's work. Move the hell over. You're not helping us. You're not doing our kids any good. You're hurting us. It's time that we break away from the teachers unions. In fact, I think it's time for teachers unions to die. Did you know that you don't have to be in the teacher union to teach? That's right. Look up the Janus decision and know that you have the right to not be in the union in order to teach. I wish we could get that message out more. All right. We, uh, I've been ranting a bit too long, but ooh, this makes me mad. Let's go to our break and we'll be right back. I'm Kira Davis filling in for Tony Katz. You're listening to Tony Katz today. We're back on Tony Katz today. I'm your fill-in host, Kira Davis. I was just reading in the break that um, Amazon CEO, or soon-to-be former CEO, I think he's stepping down, Jeff Bezos, is going to space. Yeah, apparently he has always dreamed of going to space, and so he has booked uh, a a, uh, a spot on the new Shepard. The rocket ship made by his company, Blue Origin, and the flight is scheduled for July 20th, just 15 days after he is set to resign as CEO of Amazon. So, um, yeah, we're sending Jeff Bezos to space, where where is probably where he should just stay. <laughs> I mean, look, I don't know how viable this is. I, the What I'm looking at, I think that this is one of those... Um, it's like an orbiter, I think, which is so crazy. Isn't it so crazy to think like we're classifying spaceships now? This is where we are in 2021, where our kids still have to wear masks to play outside. There is a person going to space on an orbiter, which is different than like uh, something going to the ISS, right? I think what this is, is one of those things that just kind of technically gets you to space. So once you break the atmosphere and you can see the curvature of the Earth, technically you're in space but you're not like miles above uh like you're not at the level of going to an iss it's not like he's going to do a docking thing and go there that's what i from my quick read because i wasn't able to finish it during the break that's what i think this is regardless bezos is going to space which is super cool 
something I've always wanted to do. Um, but <laughs> maybe he just needs to stay up there for a while. This guy, it's funny because, uh, I was having a conversation the other day with Carol Roth, who's a financial analyst and uh, a Fox News contributor. And, uh, we were talking about the mark, the share of the market that Amazon has taken over, uh, during this COVID pandemic. And what a, what an absolute shocker and tragedy that that has been because it's been at the expense of small business and it's been encouraged by our government. Isn't it strange how when I was a kid, Republicans were the party of big corporate, big, uh, big corporate and corporate interests and big capitalism. And they were the dirty, rotten, corporate, greedy, corporate capitalist pigs. And, and still, you can kind of see reflections of that still in movies. I was watching a show last night, The Boys, on Amazon, which is basically just like everybody else became like a complete anti-never Trump or, or a complete never Trump, you know, free for all, which ruins the entertainment value of it. I bet they regret that now because now there's no Trump and now they're stuck with the stupid, these stupid storylines sacrificing storyline to, to politics. But in that show, they really paint like Republicans still as the big corporate party, big capitalism party. And it's so weird because it's actually completely upside down. It's the liberal guys like and CEOs like Jeff Bezos who have been given complete control over the capitalistic me machinations of the economy this year by the government forcefully shutting down businesses, which Carol Roth describes as eminent domain. Basically, these businesses were eminent domained out of out of their livelihoods. The government coming to seize control of property for the good of the people. Well, that's one thing. You can decide whether or not you think the government should be able to do that. But that's one thing. But these people were never compensated. You know, the, the PPP loans and and some unemployment, a little bit of that. But that's not compensation. So they were not properly compensated for the governor's, government's seizing their property. Meanwhile, Jeff Bezos and Amazon get to, com get to completely rip and roar over the entire economy, put small businesses out of business and gain $3.2 trillion in capital in a year when most people were losing everything. Is that not fishy? Isn't it so weird how the Democrat party has now become the party of capitalism? We need to be pinning that on them more. And we need to make them own that, by the way. We need around every corner, we should be making Democrat representatives and, and Democrat stooges in the media defend big capitalism. Because that's, we need to do that. And by the way, let me say this. What's happening with the Bezoses of the world and Target and Costco, the big box stores that have been allowed to operate while everyone else loses everything. What's happening with them isn't capitalism. It's crony capitalism. But Democrats don't really know the difference between capitalism and crony capitalism. So I think we should go ahead and just make them own that capitalist label and, and, see, and see what they do. I'm a big fan of making everybody play by their own rules. It's how I feel about cancel culture. And it's, I'm, I don't apologize for being of the mind to cancel certain liberal pundits who have stepped in it. I don't personally believe in cancel culture. I don't think we should be doing that. I don't think we should be canceling people for things they said 10 years ago, 20 years ago as a teenager. But that's the left's rules. So, okay, let's play by it then. 
because none of this ends until they have to play by their own rules. So I think we should start giving them the anti-vax label. I think we should start giving them the pro-capitalist pig label. Because because they have the Democrat Party led by, I'm using air quotes, led by Joe Biden and more air quotes, Kamala Harris, has completely decimated the heart of America, which is small business in favor of big business, big corporations. And now look, Jeff Bezos is going to space while your family had to shut down their restaurant that was in business for 40 years serving the community and employing the community. If you are not outraged, you are not paying attention. I'm Kira Davis. I'm filling in for Tony Katz here on Tony Katz Today. Don't go anywhere. We'll be back next hour after the break. Welcome back. Oh, I'm jamming. That is my jam. Am I dating myself? <laughs> Run DMC, one of the greatest American acts of all time, if you ask me, launched a whole new era in American excellence. Damn, I love this country. <laughs> Everybody's always trying to copy us. They hate us because they ain't us. Talking about how other people look at us. I was looking at this story during the break. It is, uh, and I'm going to move on. I want to talk about how some stories that are breaking that are uh, examples of Americans pushing back. Um, but this story I, I thought was sort of amusing is that the Department of Defense has refused to fly the pride flag in their foreign locales, which of course we know why they can't do that, right? And they won't say why. Um, they said that they it, it in no way reflects any lack of respect or admiration for the LGBTQ plus community. More letters every time I read it. Uh, the potential for other challenges could, could arise from that exception. I just think it's sort of sad and hilarious because um, we're always being told how awful we are here about gay rights and how the Christian right, which I guess I'm a member of for being a Christian and being a right of center thinker, a free thinker, I guess. But the Christian right's always being blamed for uh, suicide rates among LGBT people. I mean, it couldn't just be that they are struggling with their own identity issues. It's got to be because somebody else has a different point of view on it all. And we're all, we're just being lectured to all the time about how horrible we are here. And yet we can't even fly. Everywhere you look is pride, quote pride, and the, this rainbow flag. Everywhere you look. I can't even watch TV. Like everybody's put these rainbow signs on the, on their uh, logos on TV and it's everywhere you look. There's no corner where it's not. And, and it's incredible because LGBT members make up like 1% of the population. It's really an incredible feat of PR. If you ask me, I think the Republican party should kind of follow their example and take some, take some examples from it. And, and they take that from Alinsky rules for radicals. If you haven't read that, Rules for Radicals is a great primer in how the the far left, the far progressive left, the extremist left, uh, uses tactics to shut down debate and shut down conversation about these issues. So 
uh, we're the bad guys, but yet we can't fly the flag in Saudi Arabia because the embassy will get bombed. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's just I, the cognitive dissonance that people have to walk through life with in order to accommodate these conflicting ideas is astounding to me. It never ceases to amaze me. And I used to be a liberal myself, but it's been so long, I really can't remember what I was thinking about these things. I think what the issue was a lot of the time is I didn't even know the conflicts. You know, I was a headline reader. I think a lot of people are headline readers these days. But there's a lot going on. We need to keep ourselves informed because we need to start pushing back. Last time I, I filled in for, for Tony, I, I did a long segment. Uh, really, a theme of the show was was pushing back, starting to stand up, not being satisfied with just letting the culture sort of drift along. While, and then all of a sudden, when we realize there's a problem, it's too late. A lot of parents are pushing back against critical race theory right now. I don't know if you've been keeping up with what with what's going on in the Loudoun County public school system, but the Loudoun County has 12, Loudoun County School Board includes 12 districts. They lump every district into one in Loudoun County, Virginia. And critical race theory has been popping up and trying to creep its way in to the curriculum and parents are starting to, and it's been helpful that a lot of students have been home, right? Because parents are starting to see the lessons being taught and they don't like it. So the parents there formed a group to push back against this. And it turns out that the school board put up this private Facebook group where they outed the parents that were against critical race theory and, and published their addresses and contact information and encouraged people to intimidate them as racists and bigots. And I'm telling you, as a black woman, as a black mother with two children who are still schooling, that critical race theory is an absolute scourge and should be pushed back at every opportunity. And not every black conservative agrees with me. There are some who say that the reason CRT has come up is because there are gaps in our historical teaching and the summer oh black lives matter has kind of brought this to the forefront and brought this discussion to the forefront which i actually agree with you know i wrote an article the other day where i posited that perhaps black history month has been a detriment to us in a way because it has allowed us within the framework of public schooling to keep black history confined to this month and then it's like okay oh yeah we got that we did that it's out of the way back to the regular stuff but black history, I think we all agree on this, those of us who have common sense, is American history. You know, you can't tell the you cannot tell the story of America without black people. We know this all too well, don't we? You cannot tell the story of America without black people. And yet we have black history. And that was a choice by black people, by the way. That wasn't something that was forced onto us by white people. That was an attempt to sort of even the playing field here. I get it. I'm not actually opposed to it. But now that we're further down the line, I wonder if it's been detrimental because it's made too many liberals in public schools. And I believe that this happens a lot with liberal policy. They do things that are like, oh, okay, okay, we did that. We, we're good people now. We don't have to think about it again. And then they can run on those when they run for elections or they can pull those out. Like, look at how good I am. I've supported this. I, I, I do think this is a weakness of, of, of liberal overcorrection. Uh, but regardless, 
I get why we have Black History Month. I just think maybe it's just made people feel like, oh, we don't have to go further. So I wonder if we get rid of it. And I can't imagine us getting rid of it. Can you imagine the public outcry? But I wonder if we did, if we would see more of a, an attempt to fill in the, the way that we teach history. There's a lot of stuff about this country and what we've done to our own citizens that, that we should know. So we don't repeat it again. So I kind of agree with some of my colleagues that say there are gaps and maybe we should re take another look at how we teach history. But critical race theory ain't it, folks. It ain't it. And I am all for you educating yourself on what critical race theory is. Critical race theory is not pro-Black. That's not critical race theory. Pro-Black, like just making it easier to learn about the history of Americans who happen to be Black. That's not CRT. CRT is really embraced by people like Ibram Kendi and Robin D'Angelo with this white fertility book that I know you've heard of. I highly recommend picking up a copy for free if you can. Don't give this woman your money. And just knowing what CRT says, it is, it is a race supremacy, a racial supremacy ideology. That's what it is. So asking people to be pay more attention to the minority groups in our country and the history of our, those groups isn't bad. That's not a bad thing. That's a good thing. Uh, asking people to consider themselves or someone else superior because of their race is a bad thing. You cannot correct a lie with another lie. You cannot correct the lie that Black history is somehow different from American history with the lie that white people don't matter and black people matter more. We don't solve racism in this country without white people. You know why? Because white people are, are the majority. And a lot of this stuff, if you think about it, is not so much race related as minority versus majority related. So there are just certain realities when you're a minority living in a country of a majority. And history goes to the victors, right? The way it gets told. So there are some realities that we have to deal with that we may not get all that we want on this representation issue. But that doesn't mean we should quit trying. And that doesn't mean that we should pretend like just because the crazies on the left are pushing the CRT that we don't have any any places to look for readjusting or for um, giving more knowledge to our students. My good friend Kat McKinley said on Twitter the other day, and I think this is brilliant, she said, I think we can teach students about the full history of racism in this country without teaching them to resent themselves and each other. And I think that is so perfect. Absolutely. I agree. And that is where I stand on this issue with as, as a mom, as a black mom, as, a, as American and, and having two kids in school. And I faced my fair share of racism in this country and the country I came from, which is Canada which is actually why I'm an American because of the awful racism up there. And I'm not kidding. Um, and uh, I, I think there's a way for us to keep moving forward on this without fear, you know, without blame. We don't have to be blaming each other. We don't have to be asking children to bear the burden of hundreds of years of history that they know nothing about just because of how they look. We can do this. We can educate each other on the, the the tragedies that have happened that we've done to ourselves in this country and the victories without scapegoating an entire group of people. You cannot correct a lie with another lie. You cannot correct the lie that Black Americans aren't the same as just every other American 
with the lie that they're somehow better because of the suffering. And I know people don't like to hear that because everybody wants revenge. Everybody wants, when, when Democrats, I believe when they say we want equality, of course, what they mean is equity and they use that word a lot more now, but they, they, they don't mean kind of starting anew or learning our lessons and moving forward. What they mean is kind of going back and retroactively punishing people for the sins of this country. It's, 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 it's evil. I don't know how to say it's evil. So I don't agree with any of my colleagues who say that CRT is something that should just be left up to localities. And if some localities want CRT, then go for it. No, you push back on it because it's dangerous. Don't it's, it's Marxism. Disguises education. You push back on it at every front. It's a matter of national security. If you ask me, we should not be raising generations of children to resent each other. That's going to bite us in the ass in the end. I'm Kira Davis filling in for Tony Katz. You're listening to Tony Katz today. We're back. There's an interesting documentary on this song, We Built This City, by what were they called? Jefferson Starship at this time. They went through like three name changes. There's an interesting documentary, and I can't think of the name of it now, but I highly recommend it, that you look it up. And it is about the, the uh, creation of this song, how much Jefferson Starship hated it because it wasn't rock and roll. They didn't want to do it. It was a pop song. But also, it's kind of about the science of the song. It's fascinating how it was put together to make a huge pop hit. And there's a lot of practical kind of, uh, I don't know, what you maybe neuroscience or there are actual medical definitions for why a song like this was appealing to people's ears and how it was it was basically made in a lab basically the song was and yet we recognize it as one of the greatest songs of the 80s it's really great you should look it up sidebar but i'm famous for my sidebars and i've been sidebarring all day haven't i i'm a, I'm a talker i told you and this time is going so fast. I mean, we're almost to the end of the second hour and I still haven't gotten to half of the stuff I wanted to talk about. And next hour, at the top of next hour, we're going to play this video, this awesome video from oil company CEO who decided to push back on the narrative of the climate change crowd. That that narrative has become so ridiculous that uh, North Face, the, the company that makes a lot of your outdoor wear and recreation gear, actually turned down a large order of jackets by a Texas oil company because they said that they could not in good conscience fill that order because to do so would be the same as filling an order for a pornography production or <laughs> stuff. I mean, they compared these people at this oil company in Texas to producers of pornography. And said they could, in, in, and in an economy where I guess North Face must have got some federal money. I guess they're doing well. You know, they don't need to work. They don't need the, they don't need the money, the order. So we're going to play that because it's a perfect example of how we should be pushing back. And I think how your representatives should be pushing back. I really think that the GOP could really move far in this country if they engaged in a flat out PR campaign. That's what they need to do. 
And I know it sounds distasteful. And I know a lot of you out there are probably saying, uh, well, that's just kind of playing their game. And that's kind of low, that's low balling it. That's under the bar. We're better than that. I don't, I don't think we are. I don't think it's gotten us that far to be quote better than that. I think we let a lot of the culture go because we thought we were above it. And in a lot of ways, you know, good people are, but that's not to say that the culture still isn't wildly influential. I think that we saw the convergence of culture and politics in the 2020 elections, and it was to the Republicans' detriment. So I'd be in favor of the Republican Party just doing a full-on like Hollywood-style campaign blitz on all the issues. If you're seeing, and I know you are, what DeSantis is doing down there in Florida... Who else is predicting DeSantis 2024? It's so early and we know how fast the landscape can change. But boy, oh boy, this guy is really burning up the charts, isn't he? This past week, DeSantis said that he, or, or a couple weeks ago now, he said that he wasn't going to be accepting the $300 bonus uh, unemployment checks from the from the federal government for, for COVID. It's a perfect example of how states who have the cojones need to push back against federal interference in human nature. DeSantis knows that this extra money was actually harming people. And I know there's a lot of people, even on the right, who have said, you're saying that people are lazy because they're taking this unemployment instead of going back to work. And that's wrong. No, no. I'm not saying that people are lazy. I'm saying people are smart. Because if you work a minimum wage job, wage job or a lower paying job, why would you go back to work if you can basically make the same amount, maybe $20 or $30 less a week by just sitting at home and getting your unemployment? Not many people would turn that down out of principle. DeSantis seems to understand that there will be some pain in freedom. I wrote a movie about Harriet Tubman. I, I filmed it. It was a short film it's called Minty which was her real name, actually, Minty. You can find that on YouTube or just go look up Minty, the Harriet Tubman movie. But I bring it up, not to sell you the film, but if you want to go look at it, you can. But I bring it up because one of the lines in there I write for Minty, for Harriet Tubman, it's a reimagining of Harriet Tubman as an action hero. Okay, so it's not like a, oh, slavery film. It's like, it's kind of a fun film. It's a thing you have to see. Uh, but in the film, she says, there's no comfort in freedom. And that's what we're going to have to hold on to as we try to extricate ourselves from China. There's going to be pain, but it's time to buck up because we've gotten so comfortable that we don't think we deserve any discomfort along with freedom. But guess what? Freedom isn't free and it sure as hell ain't comfortable. You can take that one to the bank. Tell them Kira Davis sent you filling in for Tony Katz here on Tony Katz Today. Welcome back to Tony Katz today. I'm Kira Davis today. I'm filling in for Tony while he takes a much deserved break. I'll be here tomorrow as well. Boy, this this time together has flown by. Time flies when you're having fun. And I'm always having fun when I get the chance to talk to Tony's audience. You can find more from me on Twitter. I'm real Kira Davis. That's K-I-R-A Davis. You can go find my podcast, Just Listen to Yourself with Kira Davis, and that's available wherever you find your podcasts. And of course, you can find me over at Red State, where I am editor at large, redstate.com. We've been talking about all kinds of topics today. I wanted to talk about 
some of the, I, I kind of see a little momentum building here in this country, different places pushing back on this cultural incursion. And I always find it funny how the left is like, they always want to be like the GOP is using culture as a wedge issue, as if they don't use culture as a wedge issue. They've done it and they've done it successfully. And that's why they want to shut down the ability of the right to do that, which is why you should be engaged in the culture. You don't have to love it. You don't have to support everything that comes out of the culture, but you should be engaged. How do you do that? You just, you keep yourself informed. Just keep yourself informed. I'm not suggesting you go and watch movies that you hate or watch TV shows that really bore you to death or bother you, but just stay engaged, stay abreast of, of the news and, and what's going on because they're using your movies and your TV shows and your YouTube videos that your kids watch and even that you might watch sometimes to get these messages across. I think it's time to fight fire with fire on this issue. One of the things I love about what Tony does is he's got Eat, Eat, Drink, Smoke, his Eat, Drink, Smoke podcast with Fingers Malloy. And I love that that is a podcast where you can go and you can just check it out and have fun and, you know, find some uh, amusement while Tony and Fingers go back and forth and learn about cigars and good bourbon. You know, I love that. There's nothing overt about what they do. You know, there's nothing political about what they do. It's two guys enjoying cigars and, and bourbon and conversation. But it is valuable because it is not political. Do you know what I mean? We know that Tony is is a guy who is is right of center and that and he's a guy who values common sense and values American values and stands up for this country. We know he's that guy. So we can go to eat, drink, smoke, and we don't have to worry about being assaulted with these underlying messages of Republicans evil, Democrats bad. You know, it's just, you're just going to learn about cigars and bourbon. We need more of that. So that's another way that you can get engaged in the culture by supporting things like that. Um, and I love that people are really taking seriously the idea of, of not just, this is one thing that looking back was really weak about George Bush, uh, GW, was that, and Republicans from, from that point in the past, they didn't have the idea of using the media to message. You know, it was just kind of like, I think they are what brought us to this point. It was kind of like, well, you know, that what they think about me is wrong. That's it, but I'm not going to dignify it. I mean, I do think it's hilarious that the left loves GW now, literally called him literally Hitler for eight years, but whatever. Uh, we're just supposed to memory hole all that. But I think he was weak on that. I always hated the term compassionate conservative. I hate qualifiers in, in front of the term conservative. You know, conservatism is a political ideology. It doesn't need a qualifier. Compassionate or... Uh, or, or or anything. There's uh, uh, all kinds of people who rename con the conservative movement from time to time. I don't think it needs a name. I think putting a name in front of it suggests that there's something wrong with conservatism in the first place and so it needs to be adjusted, right? Oh, we're not those conservatives. We're these conservatives. It's like, no, you know, it's a political ideology. And some people who practice it are dumb and some people are smart. You find those people everywhere. That's not in politics. That's just everywhere. That's just life. But I love the idea of messaging against some of this BS. So before the break, I was telling you about this oil company in, uh, I believe the oil company was in 
Texas that got rejected. It was, they, they put in an order to the North Face for some jackets for their employees, for actually for Christmas. And North Face wrote back and said, such a move would, quote, violate their brand standards. And they compared it to providing products to the pornography industry. So the CEO of a Denver-based, and North Face is based in Denver. So the CEO of a Denver-based oil and gas company decided enough is enough. This is ridiculous that they think that oil and gas is companies are the same as pornography producers when I'm willing to bet that every product they use uses petroleum products. So he went onto their website just to take a look. And sure enough, he said about 90% of their products use petroleum and oil products. So he started this campaign called Thank You, North Face, where he uh, launched, uh, erected some billboards right outside North Face's office. <laughs> Thank You, North Face. And he launched this video uh, thanking North Face for being partners with the oil and gas industry and telling them not to be hypocrites. I think it's brilliant. It is the exact type of pushback we need. We need more of this, more of this, more of this everywhere it can happen. Take a listen. Ari, go ahead and, and uh, play this. I'm Chris Wright, CEO of Liberty Energy. North Face recently came out against my industry, even refusing to let one of my competitors put their company logo on a North Face jacket. I went through North Face's website of wide-ranging products, and I failed to find a single product that wasn't made out of oil and gas. The great majority of North Face's products, jackets, backpacks, outdoor pants, shirts, shoes, hats, etc., are dominantly made out of the oil and gas that we so proudly produce. Globally, 60% of all clothing fibers are made out of oil and gas. For North Face, it is likely 90% or more. So North Face is not only an extraordinary customer of the oil and gas industry, they are also a partner with the oil and gas industry. So thank you, North Face. And you're welcome. <laughs> Too freaking Shay. <laughs> Ouch. That is a sting. No response from North Face so far. I even put in a media request for a response, but no response. Uh, I mean, and how would you respond from that stinging rebuke? I loved it. Because I do think that that is the way that we're going to push back on this. We're going to start pointing out the hypocrisy in the left's ideas because there is a lot to point out. And we don't need people on the left to become Republicans all of a sudden. And we don't need people on the left to become conservatives all of a sudden. I do believe in the yin. I know not a lot of you do, but I do believe in the yin and yang of everything. In the up and the down. Every pull deserves a push and vice versa. That's how we stay in balance. I do think we would be in trouble if this whole country were conservative and Republicans. You can kind of see the results of that in a place like Texas, where they are truly red. I mean, they're really red in Texas. And the Republican Party in Texas doesn't have the greatest reputation because they kind of take a lot for granted and they do stuff that the people don't really want. But they're so entrenched that they just kind of take the voters for granted. So it can be a bad thing. I believe in the yin and the yang, the push and the pull. But what I do want is for everybody, I think we, if we can just come to a place where we don't look at the person who has a different ideology than, than us as evil, that's all we need. All we need is tolerance. I say this a lot. We don't all need to vote the same way. 
And we don't all need to belong to the same party. All we need is to be able to tolerate each other. Forget unity. I always say that. Unity, as far as politics, is a political word. It is absolutely meaningless. Why would you want to unify with somebody who has fundamentally different beliefs than you? I am pro-life. I'm not, I, I believe that life starts in the womb. That is a, that's a non-starter for me. I believe it as a Christian. I believe it as a person who believes in science and biology. I believe it with every fiber of my being that a child in the womb is still an American citizen worthy of the protections of the constitution. They're just in a different state, a different human state than the rest of us. I believe that. I am not going to find common ground with somebody who thinks that it is okay to rip a baby from the womb up to uh, the moment before it passes through the birth canal and kill that baby. There's no common ground for us. What we can do is tolerate that each one of us exists. So that way we're not calling each other evil just for thinking differently and then and then inviting these culture wars that have no good results. So that's that's where I think we need to be. And and I I so I I I think that the key here is to make people live by their own rules and point out their own hypocrisy and make them defend their hypocrisy. That's what my podcast Just Listen to Yourself is about. It's about drawing out your talking points to their logical conclusion. And I think that can have a really heavy impact on people who have not been asked to think critically about the things they believe in the past. So let's make them defend their ideas. Let's make them defend their ideas. And how do we do that? We've got to get into the cultural marketplace because that's where the ideas are being exchanged. Sorry, not in Congress, not on Capitol Hill, in the culture. We got to dig in there. So I love that this CEO launched this website. The website is called thankyounorthface.com, by the way. So go over there. And there it's it's a full-on campaign. They're doing they they have other uh they have other projects in the works to keep pushing back, to keep pushing back on this messaging. And that's what needs to happen. The messaging needs to be clear, especially moving into 2022 and 2024. Guys, this stuff is ready to be taken back. I I believe that, but it's going to take some people with some guts. All right. We got to go to a break. Don't go anywhere. I'm Kira Davis filling in for Tony Katz and you're listening to Tony Katz today. Welcome back to Tony Katz Today. I'm your guest host, Kira Davis, filling in, having a great time. Time is winding down quickly. We've been talking about all kinds of stuff. I've been talking about holding our ideological peers and opposites to their own rules. I think this is one of the keys to kind of wrestling back this culture. And uh, I know even that term makes a lot of people on the left uncomfortable, but it's not, you know, you're doing the same thing. It's, it should be a wrestling match. You know, I think the left doesn't like it because they just assume, you know, once they've gotten 
dominance in an area, then they don't want that to be threatened. I mean, remember when there was just Rush Limbaugh and then there was just Rush and Fox News and they became the scapegoats for every liberal fantasy about how the right is like taking over America. And it's hilarious. Like if they live in this fantasy world where the right just like kind of controls everything and we hardly control anything and you had one radio host and one TV station. But that is because to them, it's a threat, right? Because they have had such dominance. I saw, I was watching TV this weekend. I was watching the Naked and Afraid uh, marathon on Discovery Channel. Do you watch that? I love that good. show. Oh, do you love that, Ari? It's Dude, so good, right? I love it. Do you watch Alone? On uh, I've seen channel? an episode of it. It's so good, too. That is addictive as well. And there's like eight seasons, so go find it. Um, but it's the same kind of thing. But yeah, I was watching the Naked and Afraid, but it was Legends edition. So it was like the absolute ballers of, of this show. But what, anyways, if you don't watch it, you should definitely watch it. It's a great survival show. Ari is right. And um, during the breaks, I kept seeing ads. Facebook has been running this creepy ad about how much the internet has changed in the in 25 years and how we need more internet regulations now. Now, why would Facebook, a company that depends on the internet, want internet regulations? Is it because they're just really good people and they wanna make sure that people don't get hurt by the things that can happen on the internet and they really just want justice? No, of course not. It is, <laughs> of course not. It is because and all they say in the commercial is internet regulations, right? You've got to go look up yourself what the regulations are that they want. Well, of course they want regulations because now they have market dominance. So what they want to do is close the door behind them. They came in on the wild, wild west days of the internet, and now they want market dominance by closing the door behind them. This is a very popular liberal tactic. Liberal ideas cannot thrive in the free market. I, I believe this. And that is why we must shine a light on these things and we must force people to defend their ideas, not by calling them names and not by degrading their intelligence or degrading them as human beings, but by asking questions and asking them to draw out their talking points to their logical conclusion. I, I really think we need to start holding people accountable. And one of the things that you can do is is making them play by their own rules is cancel culture i'm all for it i mean i'm not for cancel culture it's terrible it's awful of course it's horrible but if we're gonna play this game i mean at the break i was reading i was just catching up on what's going on with this ellie kemper person you know ellie kemper she is a actress she was on the office and she did uh, unbreakable kimmy schmidt on netflix which i love and she got into trouble because someone for some reason was digging around and found a picture of her she may have even posted it uh, at this festival, this pageant in St. Louis in the 90s. She was the queen of the pageant or whatever. And somebody said, well, this this is a pageant that has racist roots. It's racist. Can you believe Ellie Kemper did this? It became a story. Ellie Kemper, who is a liberal leftist in Hollywood, at 19, became a part of this very popular festival in St. Louis. And because of that, she got dragged, almost lost her career. And she had to apologize today. She apologized today for it. But... If we're going to hold her accountable for it, by the way, that festival has not been, quote, racist since 1979. It, it did exclude black people in 1979. It reversed that because the world was changing. But I guess she's got to be responsible for what happened before 1979. 
So she actually apologized for it. So you know what? If this is a game we're going to play and we're going to cancel people or try to cancel people based on what they did as teenagers, then I want to know what Jake Tapper ate for breakfast when he was 15. I want to know where that grapefruit came from. Was it South Africa during the days of apartheid? Did he do enough research to know? I want to know what Brian Stelter, I want to know where every piece of clothing he puts on comes from. Is he not doing the research properly? You know, if we're going to get this petty, then let's get this petty. You know what I'm saying? Because it is petty. It's stupid. I don't want us to have to go there. I, I, I would not hold any liberal responsible for what they said at 17 or 16 or 15. I don't care who you are today. I would never hold you responsible for that. But again, these are your rules. You set them up. So if you want to play by these rules, you live by these rules. And as a matter of fact, if we're going to go by uh, um, how racist white people are for not checking into every little historical aspect of what they did in the past or what they're eating today or where they travel for on vacation, if we're going, then what we need to do is, is demand that these people be ousted from public life. They don't have a place in public life, right? So let's clear out public life of all of the white liberals who are guilty by association with their with their race. Let's clear them out. Right. Because because that is critical race theory in a in a nutshell. There's no forgiveness. There's no redemption. You cannot correct it except by ceasing to exist. Let's clear them out. And, you know, let's get all the minorities in there. <laughs> Not going to happen. Not going to happen because guilty white liberals don't care about us minorities. They don't care. They don't really want us to be there. They don't really want us dominating the, the, the arts scene and culture and politics. All of these people talk a great game. I don't see one of them giving up their position. I don't see one of them. They got all kinds of criticism for you where you are. And oh my gosh, you had the audacity at 19 years old. Before the internet, by the way. <laughs> To not do extensive research on a local pageant. <laughs> You're the guilty person? All right, fine. Let's play that game then. Woo! It's going to be mass chaos if we do, but I'm a fan. Play by your own rules. Tony Cats today. Welcome back to Tony Cats Today. I'm your fill-in host, Kira Davis, here with you today, tomorrow. And uh, it's been a pleasure so far. We're winding down uh, this show today, but I'm having a blast so far. And I, as true to form, I haven't gotten to half the things I wanted to talk about because I am such a blabbermouth. But which is why, you know, Tony lets me talk to you guys because he knows you know, I never run out of things to talk about and we've been talking about pushing back holding people accountable making people accountable for their ideas so there was this um article I wrote on the other day about it uh, the the dean of admissions at Brandeis University I, I didn't look up the article I can't remember her name now but if you go to redstate.com you'll find that article from me and she gave a speech like almost I think like a TED talk and she she's white and she talked about her white privilege and how people, she called herself a racist. She called herself a racist. She said, I am racist because I am white. They're the same thing. 
So I don't deserve my privilege. This was her saying this. Now, do you think Brandeis University fired her because she's a racist? I mean, shouldn't you fire racists? Should racists really be in charge of admitting black and and other minority students to one of the most elite colleges in the country? No, that seems like a really bad idea. Don't racists get canceled? She literally called herself a racist. Of course, she's still working there. Now, if we are going to hold her to her own logic, and this is where CRT falls apart and why the way to push back on it, besides what you guys are doing in your school boards and all of that, that's great. And I'm all in favor of your legislatures because this is Marxism. So I'm all in favor of banning it. But another front is to hold people accountable for what they say. So if this woman is admitting that she's a racist, that she's a problem, then the only solution to her presence is to remove herself from her elite position at Brandeis University and install a black person. Uh, what are the odds, do you think, that she's done anything towards that? No, she's still in her position. There's a Spanish teacher. Um, we broke this news. We didn't break it, but we covered it at Red State. There was a, a, a teacher who uh, gave up her position teaching high school Spanish because she said that because she's white, that she shouldn't be teaching Spanish, that she that that's white privilege and that's cultural. It's, it's cultural. Guys, I can't even get it. Out. It's cultural appropriation to teach a foreign language. This is how nuts that this is how insane this philosophy is. It literally makes people insane. She's saying I shouldn't teach Spanish because I'm white, even though, by the way, um, many like not Mexicans, but like if you go to Spain, Spanish people are not they're not a minority considered like a racial minority. Spanish people are white and that is how they define themselves. And they really abhor that Americans paint them as minority, some kind of minority culture. They don't like that. Also, many European nations are completely racist. They don't want to be black. They don't like black people either. You know, so they are there are there are uh, Spanish people in this world who are white and would take great offense at you classifying them as anything else. So I don't understand why she can't teach Spanish, except that she has not been asked to draw out her logic to their conclusions. So she hasn't been able to think critically about the words she said, they sounded nice, but I will give her this. At least she left her position. Do you know what I mean? At least she was intellectually honest, <coughs> excuse me, intellectually honest about the solutions to her white privilege. She gave up her position. So that's what I think we should start asking white people who are, who are, and it's amazing how many white people are <laughs> pushing CRT. It's definitely, it's definitely like a white person thing, which is funny, but uh, if it weren't so tragic, but you know, she's taking that logic out to its end and we should require every white person who stands up and says the same thing to do the same. This Dean of admissions at Brandeis University should be gone. I mean, honestly, if she's a racist by her own admission, by what standard would you keep her there? Uh, her tweets have been, I believe, deleted around the topic. And the university is not returning any phone calls. But 
I do think that the answer here, or one of the answers here, one of the legs of this strategy should be to, to hold these people accountable. I read White Fragility and it is not good, but one of the things that is really uh, pathetically hilarious in the book is Robin D'Angelo, as a white person, spends the whole book explaining how white people are guilty simply by virtue of existing. You know, your privileges is your guilt doesn't matter if you don't think you're a racist. If you don't think you're a racist, that probably means you are a racist. There's no way out. And yet somehow she is able to hold herself above the accountability aspect of this through the whole book. There's never one suggestion from her that she should not exist, you know, but every, all y'all, everyone else should not exist. She somehow gets out from under it and can make $22,000 a speech. Oh no, it's, it's amazing. We need to, again, hold these people accountable for their ideas. Have you heard of race norming? This blew my mind this past week. So the AP dropped this story very casually the other day. NFL agrees to end policy of quote race norming in a concussion settlement. I was like, what's race norming? And why isn't this story viral? <laughs> it sounds like a bad thing. So I dug in, I dug into the AP article it was very vague about what race norming was and you would think that they would be all over it, right? Like that would be, they'd be frothing at the mouth and it was hardly anything. So I said, well, this doesn't make any sense. Why at the very least they're not outraged and blaming conservatives in some way. And I mean, don't Democrats hate Roger Goodell and the NFL powers that be? So it just seemed like a missed opportunity for the left, which made me suspicious. So I dug into what race norming is. It's actually the policy found one guy at the nation who I think his name is Zirin, Dan Zirin or Dave Zirin. He wrote this article about it back in March. That was the last thing I could find about it. Race norming is the practice of assuming that black people, or in this case, players, start out with a lower cognitive function. So you cannot compare them properly to white players. The NFL was using it as a way to deny black players uh, their their portion of this concussion fund that they've had, that they were forced to uh, put up for players who have been injured in, in while they've been playing. And the NFL got caught covering up a lot. And so they had to establish this billion dollar fund. Well, black players are saying we're getting rejected at a greater rate than white players because of this race norming policy where they start our cognitive abilities out lower than the white players. So it's harder to prove that our brains have been injured. In other words, the policy, policy of the NFL has been to consider black players too retarded to get brain injury. I use that term medically. That's, that's what they, that is what race norming is. So I thought this is huge. Why is this not a big, huge freaking deal? Doing more research on it, come to find out, oh, race norming is a policy from the Carter administration. Jimmy Carter put this rule in place for government employees to help, quote, even the playing fields for blacks who wanted to apply to government positions and were getting rejected because they were failing the tests that you need to go into government. So what did they do? They didn't address why black people were failing the tests or perhaps were failing black people on the education level. No, what they did is they lowered the bar, but only for black people, not for white people, because white people are already just automatically smart because they're white. This is a liberal point of view. This is a liberal point of view. So black people are too dumb to really jump over that bar. So let's lower it for them. I mean, if there was ever 
an example of the soft bigotry of low expectations. And this guy Zirin in this article was actually defending it. He 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 was saying that the the race norming policy of the NFL is for sure racist, but it's based on something that was meant to do good. But see, this is how liberals think. They they want to they want to be excused for their own racism because they think their intentions are enough to put them through. And it's absolutely ridiculous. It's pathetic. And I can't believe that a liberal like that would even defend that. How how do you even defend this policy by by saying, well, you know, it was a good try. Really? Was it? <laughs> really? You're going to defend making black people stupid in order to help them <laughs> achieve? And you're going to call that? racial equality. See, we got to hold these people to account for what they think and say. And that's why that story was not a huge story. I can't believe it's not a huge scandal. Can you imagine if news came out that President Trump was race norming in his administration? We'd still be talking about it. This is so quiet. I haven't hardly heard anyone talk about it except me. This is a huge scandal, but because it was instituted by a liberal administration, we're all supposed to pretend that it's not racist. So that is why I do believe that there's plenty to hold people accountable for, and we should make them draw out their ideas to their logical conclusion. Because when you do it, what you get is what happened in the NFL this past week. You cannot correct a lie with another lie. You cannot correct the lie that black people are somehow more inherently dumb than white people with the lie that that uh, the bar needs to be lowered in order for black people to achieve. You cannot correct a lie with a lie. We're being lied to make people defend their ideas. Stand there and make them defend it. Because most of them can't. I'm Kira Davis filling in for Tony Katz and you're listening to Tony Katz today.